Alright, so this is going to be our last week of Joshua. So, we're going to do a quick review tonight because we want to make sure we get to everything to finish up here. Can you tell me about the book of Joshua and what is it about? It is about Joshua's life. <laughs> <clears throat> I wouldn't say it's about Joshua's life necessarily. He's the author of it, so at naturally everything occurs within his lifetime. Yeah. So what's it a record of? Different section of what? What are they getting a section of, Natalia? Yes. So it's about taking the promised land. And um, what were they told at the beginning that we have used as a theme throughout this? Yes. And what does that mean? What's it mean to be strong? Not necessarily just physically strong, but strong in your relationship with God and um, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Right. It applies to all those things. And then what does good courage mean? If you have good courage. behind your courage, but what is courage? Being brave. Okay, yes, but, and what does it mean to be brave? Let's, usually how are you being brave? What's an example of that?
Why do we describe people going into battle as brave? Because it's scary. And you do what even though it's scary? You go into battle and fight even though you know that there's a possibility that you could die, but it's scary. Yes, okay, it's, it's doing something in the face of fear. This marker is not good. Okay. <clears throat> now, um, what did you talk about last week? So it's fresh in your mind. It wasn't me, it was with Levi. Hint. Hint. I talked about Levi's. Okay. And the, the other tribe that were separated in the middle of the bottom tribe of Mm-hmm. Do you remember? I forget what one it was. Starts with an S. Oh, it's, uh, Simeon. Simeon, yes. Okay. And the Levites were dispersed. Throughout the, yes. the Israelite land, the promised land. Okay. What else did you talk about? Talked about some other cities. Cities of refuge. Yeah, cities of refuge. And where people could go, like awaiting a trial, to be safe from if someone was going to kill them. Or Why would somebody want to kill them? If they potentially accidentally killed somebody or possibly accidentally killed somebody or accused, or accused of killing someone when they didn't right okay so then uh what is the state then of israel in where are they at what is everything like now in the land of israel We have, what's this land over here, Natalia? This is the Nile River. So, what land is that? It's where they all came from when they crossed the Red Sea. Egypt. Egypt, okay. And this is then a body of water which is um, Red, sea. Red Sea. And then what rhymes with it is next, which is the Dead Sea. Yes. 
And this is? The Sea The city that is Nazareth. Nazareth is <laughs> up here. <laughs> Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. I was like, I know there's like a clump of them. Right um, there. Bethlehem is close to Jerusalem. Okay. Down in this area. It is also a part of Judah. How do you know it's a part of Judah? Using your critical thinking. Because we sing the song, Lion of Judah, and it talks about Bethlehem. Okay, well that's good. Um, well, two, two ways that you should know that. One is that King David is from Bethlehem, and all the kings are Jew are of the tribe of Judah, and Jesus is also from the tribe of Judah because he's a king as well. So he came from Bethlehem, and you already knew that. Okay. All right. So before uh, we get going here, oh, that's right. So what is their state now? that they're in this area. What have they done that they've been working on for years? They took it over. They separated Yep, they possessed the promised land. Did they take all of it yet, though? No, they still had stuff to work on. There were still other people still alive. Um, so that's where we leave them, that now they have peace. They're not at war anymore, but they, um, so they're taking a rest and God has given them some time to rest. Now, if I were to ask you or better yet, if somebody were to ask you why you go to East Shelby, what would you say? Okay, <laughs> that's, an, that's an easy one for all three of us. Because you've been here since you were little, right? And, but especially for you two, because you're not adults yet. Close, but not there yet, right? What, how else might you answer? I know that for myself, if someone said, why do you go to each other, like as in the church, opposed to another church, I would say, because, you know, feels like family and it's, it's like it's refreshing to go somewhere that interacts with each other like we do and uh, it's just refreshing in this world. Okay, that's a good answer. 
Um, what if they ask you, why do you go to church every Sunday? Besides the simple answer of, I have to go, right? Okay, because I'm assuming he, you mean God, right? Okay, that's good. Um, what if they asked you, why do you have that little village? someone or is that what you're telling me because I'm asking you uh, probably depends on the person right yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably half the people like if you if you're I don't know if you're like other cousins from across the state asked you you might give them that answer right or if a teacher that you know is a Christian and goes to another church, you might give them that answer. But what if it was somebody that you knew probably wasn't a Christian? You might not say that, but what would you say? It's okay. You don't have to know. I'm just, I'm just trying to draw things out. All right. So if you didn't have an answer to any of those questions, or if you, if you thought, I don't know exactly how I would say that, and, or you might not even be able to tell yourself the answer. might not be able to know, maybe you never thought about why you do something like that. And if this is the case, that you don't know the answer to something that you believe or that you act like you believe, if you don't know the answer to it, eventually that belief will die out like the last ember of a, spot, of a fire. Because if you have a big raging fire, right, a campfire, if you don't keep putting logs on it and tending to it, and you just kind of ignore it, eventually you just have a couple of coals with a little flames. And if you were to throw some logs on it, it'd rage right back up. But eventually, you get down to just a little pile of ash and not even a wisp of smoke coming up from it, and it's totally dead. So, we come to this exact same types of questions that I was just asking you that the tribes of Israel have rolling around in their heads at this time. 
They have it rolling around in their mind. They're pondering these questions of what do we believe and how do we, how do we continue that? How do we make sure that that lasts through our life? and our children's life and their children's children. How do we make sure that continues on? So we're gonna be in Joshua 22 through 24, but we're gonna start in the middle at chapter 23. And we're gonna read verses one through 13. And I will read them with you too. So we'll go all three of us around just cause there's only a few. So let's start in verse with verse 1. 23. And it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Therefore, very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand nor to the left. That ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor Bow yourselves unto them. But cleave unto the Lord your God, as ye have done unto this day. For the Lord is, has drifted, driven you out from before you, great nations and, and strong. But as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God, he it is the fighteth for you as he hath promised you. Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. Else if ye do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of those nations, even those that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they unto you. snares and traps unto you and scourges 
scourges. Scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Okay, so how uh, Joshua here is <clears throat> says waxen old and stricken in years which is the old way of saying he is super, super old. And usually when the Bible says that, it's near the end of their life. So he is actually about 110 years old here. In the next chapter, it says that he's 110. So this is pretty near to that time, which is very, very old. What was, what's the oldest person you've ever met? Yes, or like that you've known personally, not like <clears throat> just heard of, huh? 91, okay, 91. Um, I, I want to say 97 is the oldest person that I've known, so pretty old. Sarah's one grandma was 103 which is pretty old. And um, <clears throat> I do, our neighbors, their, her mother, which they're in their 70s, her mother just died a year or a year and a half ago, and her mother was 104, which is very old. So Joshua is 110, and he, is, he has watched God interact with people. A lot of people. He has watched God interact with nature. He's watched God interact with entire nations and then with individual people in small and quiet moments. For 70 years, he has watched this. Because he was about 40 when he left Egypt with Moses. And he's been alongside right there with Moses all this time, watching Moses deal with the Israelites and with the leaders of each tribe. And he's watched them be at war, watched God deal with other nations and other prophets like Balaam. You guys know Balaam? What's he famous for? He talked to something that nobody's else has probably ever talked to and had it talked back to him. The rock, right? No. no. Did a rock talk back to someone? No. <laughs> I mean, I was just thinking that Balaam and the donkey. Oh, yeah. Right? That was God that sent an angel and then let the donkey speak to tell Balaam how dumb he was, pretty much. And... So Joshua has watched all sorts of crazy things like that and has observed all these things. He's seen way more of God and been in his presence than most people. Moses is one who has him beat. Um, probably the disciples since they were with God day and night for three years. That's pretty with Jesus. But he's up there. And he's watched a lot of people and observed and has drawn, drawn a lot of wisdom. So knowing all that, what is his advice that he gives to the Israelites here 
as he knows that he's about to die and they're not going to have him for a leader anymore. If you were to sum up what we read, I don't usually do this because I don't like number, like lists of things, but there's three things. To what God has told me to do. Okay. Obey. Yeah. You don't hear that a lot anymore. Anybody really talk about or even use that word any more to obey? You ever hear your teachers use that word? No. Yeah, it's kind of gone out of vogue, which is not a good thing because now we've gotten to the point where rules don't matter. You can do whatever you want. Do your thing, do you. But it, this is something that's a biblical principle, obeying God's laws. So that's a very important thing, straightforward thing. You probably already knew that, right? What else does he say that they need to be? One thing that's part of our theme. Courageous. That's what he said a bunch, or God told them at the beginning of entering the promised land to be courageous. Courageous. Didn't say it'd be a good speller. So. so he says to be courageous, which we've talked about that. And then one other thing that's a very. Um, it's very colorful. It paints a picture of what you need to do. He says it a bunch of times in a positive way and in a negative way. It's another word that people don't usually use anymore. To cleave. You know what it means to cleave? To like attach yourself or hang on to. Yes. Um, why do you say that? Why do you have that image? Where have you heard that word before? In the Bible, we talked about it before. Okay. <laughs> so, um, be, other places in the Bible, uh, David specifically uses it. He talks about cleaving to God like you're cleaving to like a rock or to find like that cleft in the rock where you tuck your hand in like in a crack because you're holding on as you're climbing this mountain and that's your only way to hold on. So what does he mean when he says to, that you should cleave to God? And what does he mean that he sh when he says make sure you don't um, go back and cleave to these other nations that you are supposed to get rid of. I mean, it kind of like ties into the obey part, like do what God 
told you to do and stay standing with God even though you may not want to. Okay, stand with God is a good start. Um, if we take it another step further, think about it in this context because we're talking about God and then we're talking about other nations or other ways. This is another thing that nobody likes to talk about anymore. Idols. Usually it's used in like more of a positive sense now, right? Yeah. If you say, he's my idol, or she's my idol, what does that mean? Like, it means that you look up to that person and you want to be like that and do everything that they do. Yeah, you just... Yeah. You like awe over them. Yeah, you awe over them. So, if we're thinking about cleave in that sense, because that's what they're talking about, don't become like these other nations. Don't get tied up in them. Don't cling to their ways. Instead, cling to God. What's the ultimate emotion? What's the ultimate expression? The most powerful expression that humans have. Is it anger? No, love, right? Love. It's one thing to stand with God, and that's good. That's important. But if you take it a step further, it's to love him and to cleave to him. And it makes me think when that when you're trying to express something, love to someone, you hug them, right? You squeeze them really tight and you are trying as much as possible to let them know that you love them, that you care about them, that, that they matter to you. So that's what he said, this cleave isn't just, it's not a relaxed, term it's it's an intense term that you are clinging to them and you're not going to let go so <clears throat> if you don't this is what he says is going to happen now let's read verses 13 through 16 oh wait did i read 13 already yes let's read 14 through 16 For a minute. So he says that if you, that I'm going the way of the earth, or I'm returning dust to dust, 
And if you do these things, then you know that God won't fail you and he will give you all these promises. All right, verse 15. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until he had destroyed you from off the good land which the Lord your God hath given you. When ye have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed yourself before them or to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land which he has given to you. Okay. So, does he say, if you leave God... His language is such that you say, oh, no, no, wait. He's saying when you do it. He says it's a guarantee you are going to. He says you're not going to cleave to God. Hmm. How does he know that? Because as you know, being good students of the Bible that they don't, right? And that's when King Nebuchadnezzar and the Assyrians, they all come and carry off the Israelites in another 500 years or so. How does he know that? What could be the, your simple answer? God told him. God told him, okay. Yes, very good. Exactly. He remember who who did he follow around for forty years? No. I mean, sort of. <laughs> Okay, yeah, but who did the Israelites follow? Who led the Israelites out of Egypt, Natalia? Um, Moses. Moses. He has been following Moses around. Remember, he's like more like his mentor. Uh, more than that, though, not really exactly. But so he's been watching all this stuff. Now, who wrote up until now? This until the book of Joshua. Who wrote all these books of the Bible? So this might be a little tougher. Yes, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He wrote all those down. Probably one of the best besides Paul. One of the best writers for, well, Paul didn't really write story. His aren't a narrative in a story. like So Paul, or Moses is probably one of the best story writers in the Bible. You look at things like Genesis and he t paints pictures with so few words. 
And so that means that Joshua is getting these stories right from Moses. So how does he know that people are going to fail at following God? What happens in Genesis 3? Do you know? Chapter 3 of Genesis. It's where all your troubles start. It is in the Garden of Eden. And um, it's human nature to sin and eat. Yes, that's where they sin. They commit the first sin and they rebel against God. All right. And who else does he see that fails to cleave to God? Fails to obey God? Adam, because he didn't sin. Okay, yep. Yes, um, I don't know if he had, he probably doesn't have the view that we have because that story comes later in um, Ezekiel has that story that God gives him about what happens before the earth. Um, who else? Yes. Okay, he sees that. Other nations. Well, Simon and Gomorrah is after the flood, but yeah. The the flood is also a similar situation, so he knows that story. Okay, so there's a personal one. And then also he saw Moses. Okay, Moses made mistakes. Um, I wouldn't accuse him of not cleaving to God, but he did. He didn't obey, right? And had a consequence for that. With the Israelites not believing, did you ever think about that that meant that Joshua's family did not get to go in the promised land? We don't know if he had a wife or children. It never mentions it, so the, the likelihood is probably no. But his parents, his brothers, sisters did not get to go to, into the promised land. He had... They had to wander until they died. And then more, most recently, we had Achan, right? Achan and his whole family. Now, you're probably thinking, well, he knows that they're all going to mess up and they're, God's going to punish them for it. Before you totally write this group off as lost and forget about them, they're not even, they're already doomed. Let's go back to chapter 22, the chapter before it, and I'm going to read you verses 1 through 6 and just listen, because I'm going to ask you questions. This is, um, had happened probably a few years before. Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he said unto them, Ye have kept all that uh, Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. Ye have left 
not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. So they have been fighting with the Israelites to conquer all the cities, these three tribes, all their men have been. And verse 4, And now the Lord your God has given the rest unto your brethren, as he promised them. Therefore now return ye, and get ye into your tents, and unto the land of your possession, which the Lord, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of Jordan. But take diligent heed to do the commandments and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you, to love the Lord your God, and to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, and to cleave unto him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went unto their tents. Okay. So, where are their tents? They've been here um, at Shiloh, where the temple is, or the tabernacle is, or the temple, and they're on the east side of the Jordan River, or the west. Sorry, it says to go back over, right? Yep. So this is the land that they they actually asked Moses for this land. A long time ago because it is very green it's on because the wind comes across the Mediterranean Sea picks up moisture and then as it goes up and over the mountains by the Jordan River once it gets over to the other side it drops all the rain this is the good side of the mountains and it's all lush right over there on that side. So they have lots of cattle and they asked for that and Moses said, yep, you can have it, but you have to fight for the rest of the land before you can go and take it. You still have to do your part. So they said, Joshua says, you've done your part, now you can go back. It's been seven years since they've seen their wives, their children, their mothers and fathers, all the men have been gone fighting for that long. So they get to go back, and Joshua, again, notice what was the, one of the key words? Cleave. Cleave, and what else? Uh, obey. Obey. <laughs> okay, those are the two he says. They've already done a lot of courageous stuff, right, for seven yeah. years. All right, they got that down. Now, um, so they're going back, and this is what they do. If you guys want to read verses 10 and through 12. And when they came into the borders of Jordan, that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh mm -hmm. built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see to. And the children of Israel heard, heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built 
an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. So, the three tribes, Judah, Manasseh, and Gad, cross over the river, and once they get over to the other side, they take 12 stones, and they stack them up in an altar, just like the one at Shiloh. Because God said, when you build your altars, take stones, don't cut the stones, 12 stones for each of the tribes, and build an altar for me. So they build one just like they've got over at Shiloh on their side, though. What do you think about that? Where are they supposed to do sacrifices? In the temple. Who's supposed to do the sacrifices? The Levites. There are no, I'm pretty sure, no Levite cities over on this side. And anyways, the Levites go to the temple to do the sacrificing. Okay. What do all the Israelites on this side do when somebody comes and tells them what they did? in verse 12. They gathered themselves at Shiloh. Mm-hmm. So they could go to war with them. Yeah, they're going to go fight them. Because they're like, you're not supposed to do that. We don't like that. We're not going to let you do something that you're not supposed to do. They're going to go confront them. So their leaders get together and they cross over and they confront them. And they're going to talk to them about it first. And now, uh, for sake of time, we're not going to read it, but verse the rest of the chapter, what they say, um, starting at 15, when they get there to... Um, the leaders of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh that built it, they say, well, you can say that we did something wrong, but God knows, and he'll be our judge as to whether we did something wrong. Not a bad thing to say. Not a bad thing to remember. Usually when somebody says that, if they're of good character, they probably didn't do anything wrong if they believe in God, because they wouldn't say that otherwise. And what they said is, we are concerned that one day our children will forget that we were part of the tribe of Israel. They will, and they may forget that we were over here fighting and doing the same stuff. And we're afraid also that your children are going to forget us and turn against us and say, we don't have any part with them. We built this, they said, as a reminder. And we are making sure 
that the idea that our that we follow God is not out of sight out of mind for us. We want to be reminded of this. So then when we come across it and one of our kids says, hey, what's that there? All those stones piled up, they can say, that is just like the altar in Shiloh where we worship God. And that's to remind us of that. So they made a physical representation that says we believe. Um, okay. Now, we're going to jump ahead. We already did 20, chapter 23. Now to 20, chapter 24. So pretty, pretty wise of that, those three tribes, right? To have that foresight to say, because it does end up happening, and they are one of the first tribes because they turned against God to be taken by another nation and scattered. They're one of the first ones. Um, now, let's read verses 1 through 6 of chapter 24. Lots of reading tonight. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout the, all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Sir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and ye came unto the sea. And the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. Okay. So, what do you notice different about chapter 24 from 23 so far? Or maybe we should start with the similarities. What are the similarities? Um, Joshua gathered all the people of Israel, or like the kind of important, like higher up people together and talked to them. Um, yes, this is, this is actually all the people, but he does specifically make sure that the elders, you know, are up front there representing them. Okay, so yep, that happens with both. What is different? about these two. Um, in chapter 24, Joshua 
is telling them, like reminding them what God has done for them in the past, whereas 23, Joshua was warning them of what they should do in the future. Okay, yes. Now he's going to get into um, advice as well coming up and what they should do. There's a difference though in language. That sometimes we overlook um, because we get so used to God tells the prophet, the prophet tells us, it's a message from God. What's different between 23 and 24? It's very subtle, but it does, it's important. It's about the I think it's, I'm not very good with thinking, but the preposition. Is it no. Um, I. I, it's yes. In the, in the, like, okay, in which one? In 24. So 24 is I because it says, um, in. Verse 2, thus saith the Lord your God. And then after that, could all be in quotations. What about chapter 23? It's Joshua himself. Not to say that God didn't tell him some stuff, but this is more of Joshua's experience, Joshua's wisdom that he's gathered from God. Whereas 24 is a direct message from God. So that's important to point out here. And um, <clears throat> what God says, and we won't read all of it because you know a lot of this coming up, but he starts, God says, way back when, after the flood, I chose Abraham, and then I chose Isaac and Jacob and, I, and Moses and Aaron, and he's explaining all the things that he's done for them, how he has picked them out and chosen to, to act through them. And he continues to remind them of everything right up until now. He talks about Jericho. He talks about them casting out the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Hittites, Jebusites. And then here in verse 12 now, he says, And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. So he's saying, I was the one who gave you your power. You were courageous, and I gave you the power for that. Verse 13, and now, and I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, of the, vi of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted, not do you eat. So he says, you get all these, you came upon a field full of grapes that somebody already had been working, 
and I gave you the victory over that and now you get to harvest grapes that you never planted them. You get a city, a house that you never built. I gave that all to you. Uh, just to point out, to draw a parallel for us. This is the promised land. What are you promised? And what is in heaven for you? Right, he's, everything will be there that you didn't have to work for. It will be a gift. So this is a parallel there. <clears throat> so now Joshua is going to chime in. All of this has been God saying this up until this point. And then it's interesting because Joshua just kind of drops this in there as his own little thing. And I think you'll recognize it. Verse 14 and 15, through 16 now. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in certainty and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Hear that? Ever heard that before? Pretty famous one, right? Lots of people like to say that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, <clears throat> he's telling them, I don't know what you're going to do. That's your own choice. Each of you tribes get to choose. Each of you families get to choose. And individuals, what you want to do. But me and my house, we are going to be de dedicated to God. We are going to cleave unto him, and we are going to obey him, and we're going to be courageous in all of that that we are doing. We're not going to back down. And all of them say, in verses 17 through 19, they say, us too, us too, we're going to do that too. And then Joshua says a funny thing here. He says in 19, and Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God, he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your trespasses nor your sins. Why did Joshua say that? When he just says, I'm going to serve God, and then he says, You can't serve God. Doesn't that seem hypocritical? Doesn't that seem like um, opposing beliefs? Do you think that, but aren't there people who do? What about Caleb? Okay. trying to tell them that you could never do enough 
in service of God. You aren't capable of being a good enough servant to God. And he's not saying that he's good enough. He knows he's not either. But he's saying you will never ever live up to your end of the agreement. To your end of the covenant. You can't. Now, do you guys remember, this is stretching back, and I'm not sure if you, you were here for this, Natalia, or if you got it somewhere else, but do you remember Abraham, long time ago, he made a covenant with God, and it was nighttime, he waited all day, went from day to night, and he had sacrificed these animals where he put half a bird on one side, half a dove, and then he put half of, uh, I think it was a goat on one side, He waits there all day and he scares off the animals and then at night God comes with smoke and like a torch and he passes down the middle between them making the covenant. Is that any of that ring a bell? A little bit. It's really weird, right? It's almost seems sacrilegious, right? It's not, it's unusual what happens. Now, probably don't remember this part but this is an interesting detail this was a common way that it wasn't something that God just came up with for him to do this was something that people did if you had a servant and you were the master you would do this ceremony if you were making a promise a covenant a bond where the servant was going to do something for you and this was to symbolize if the servant didn't do what he was supposed to do, he would be cut in half. The same thing would happen to him. So, and the master never went pat, walked down the middle. Only the servant had to. So Abraham does this and waits all day. And he's expecting when God shows up, he's going to walk down the middle and say, if I don't do what I'm supposed to, God, I'll die. Well, to his surprise, when God shows up that night, God, that's what the flame is, walks down the middle saying, if I don't hold up my end of the deal, I'll die. And Moses, or Abraham, if you mess up, then I will die also. Meaning, I will uphold both ends of the promise I will do it all and I will suffer all the consequences if you mess up. So what is that telling him? How's that story end? Right. All of this ends with Jesus on the cross. That's why Jesus fulfills that promise to Abraham and for all of Abraham's now, did Joshua understand that from that story? It's okay, don't think too hard. I don't know. I don't know if he did. 
but he does understand God. He's been around God for a long time. He says, and this wasn't to say there weren't consequences, right? You know about Abraham and Ishmael and Hagar and all the, he had tons of other struggles where he messed up. But in the end, God covered those. And the Israelites, even though they can't fulfill this, God is going to hold up the end where they can't do it. Just like he talked about, they said, you conquered all these people, not by your sword and your bow. You did your best. You were courageous, but it was me that gave you that power. So, the Israelites then fulfill, uh, receive the promised land, even though they have all their errors and mess up, they come back to God. All through the years, everybody from Abraham all the way up, Jacob being a liar, Isaac being kind of lazy, Moses killing someone, right? Remember, he kills the Egyptian. God still honors their promise. Why does he honor the promise of the covenant? And they still receive the blessing of the promised land. What should you do if you mess up? Forgiveness is important. But that part of that that comes hand in hand with that is cleaving to God. And you have the courage to do it, to face the fear. And then they obeyed. When they failed in the first place, they come, they come back and they do it right the next time. Now... <clears throat> We have a promised land too, right? We talked about that. But how do you get to that promised land? Natalia, how do you get to heaven? Okay, that's the start, right? How do you make sure you show up in grand style. Okay, yes. So, what's a good picture of that? A book that we've studied before. Pilgrim's Progress, right? And it shows you that it's a journey. You don't just get saved and then sit on the sidelines and wait. You have to go on the journey. You have a task. Your flame okay, can't go out. If you just sit on the sidelines and do nothing, your flame is going to go out. <clears throat> so, if I asked you, um, so if I asked you, why you do something 
why you believe something, how can you answer? How do you answer why you believe in your faith? Well, you have many ways that you can do it. You could explain why you sing a certain song. You could explain why we have that village over there. We, and you can explain why open house is free. You could explain why it's called Aslan's Acres. There's all these different pictures that we have that are reminders all around. They're not just for other people, but they're for us too. Because in the end, we people are weak. You are weak, I am weak. We so easily forget things and out of sight, out of mind is a real thing. I don't know about you, but I have to make notes. I have to write things on a calendar. I have to leave something right by the door that I want to take the next day somewhere. Otherwise, I will forget it. If I just leave it in the other room, I will forget it because we're just, we are, we're not that good at remembering things. So we do all these things. We have seasons like Christmas and Easter and the baptism to remember those things. Every year we do it to remember those things so we don't forget to cleave to God, to obey him and be courageous. Um, we're not gonna read it because we gotta finish up here. But at the end of chapter 24, um, <clears throat> it says that Joshua makes a covenant that day where they, what they had just talked about with the people, that they're going to cleave to God, be courageous and obey him. And they put up a big stone. And that is there as a reminder of that promise that they made with Joshua, that they're going to serve God. And then Joshua dies at 110 and they bury him there um, near Ephraim. And so that ends Joshua's time. That's the end of his record of things. And he marks an end of an era. Him and Moses are in this era where they're single great leaders. And after that, there's just little leaders that come along. They're not until they have a king. And he, Joshua was a great leader. Really, almost no errors are recorded that he made. Almost none. Moses has, you can count at least three errors that Moses had. Joshua, the closest thing that he has was he was praying instead of getting up and acting. Not bad, right? And he was, this is the things to remember about him that you can emulate, replicate in your life. He was a worker. A hard worker, always getting up and doing, getting after it. He took no credit, never took any credit for anything. He was the last person to pick out land, put everyone ahead of him. He was always, um, he was always giving his why and reminding everyone of what God has done. 
many, many times he sits down with the Israelites and says, hey, let's read the Bible again. Let's read the Bible we have. Everyone's going to listen. We're going to go over the, the laws again. We're going to go over why we are following God. And he's always giving them courage to keep going, pushing them to keep going and to follow God. All right, that's the end of Joshua, and we will start something different next week. Thank you.